Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of sarcoidosis from the pulmonary section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 52-year-old African-American woman presents to her primary care physician for worsening cough accompanied by fatigue, fever, and malaise. Physical exam is remarkable for an erythematous, non-ulcerated, and tender nodule over the bilateral shins. A chest radiograph is obtained, which demonstrate bilateral hilar adenopathy without any appreciable pulmonary parenchymal infiltrates. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick introduction, sarcoidosis is defined as a systemic inflammatory disease that is characterized by the presence of non-caseating granulomas. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, the lung is most commonly involved in sarcoidosis and is most common in African Americans. The etiology of sarcoidosis is unknown. The pathogenesis is secondary to macrophages that present antigens to T-cells, and the Th1 cells are recruited and produce interferon gamma, TNF, and interleukin-2, which results in granuloma formation. In terms of sarcoidosis staging, this is divided into four stages. Stage 1 involves bilateral hilar adenopathy. Stage 2 involves bilateral hilar adenopathy with parenchymal infiltrates. Stage 3 involves diffuse parenchymal infiltrates in the absence of hilar adenopathy and stage 4 involves pulmonary fibrosis, demonstrating honeycombing. Associated conditions with sarcoidosis include neurosarcoidosis, dilated and restrictive-slash-infiltrative cardiomyopathy, myocarditis, hypercalcemia, erythema nodosum, uveitis, acute interstitial nephritis, lupus pernio, restrictive lung disease, and rheumatoid-like arthropathy. The prognosis of sarcoidosis is generally good in most patients. Moving on to the presentation of sarcoidosis, symptoms include constitutional symptoms, for example, fever, malaise, and anorexia, dyspnea, and arthralgias. Physical exam includes erythema nodosum, anterior uveitis, and cranial nerve 7 involvement, which is worrisome for neurosarcoidosis. Moving on to imaging, a chest radiograph is the initial imaging study of choice in the evaluation of sarcoidosis. Findings include hilar adenopathy, which is the hallmark, reticular opacities, and parenchymal nodules. A high-resolution CT is indicated to further evaluate abnormalities demonstrated on chest radiography. As far as studies to obtain in the workup of sarcoidosis, some lab abnormalities to be aware of include hypercalcemia and hypercalciuria. You may also find elevated angiotensin-converting enzyme or ACE levels in approximately 60% of cases. Other studies include biopsy of the affected organ. The preferred site of biopsy is the lesion that is most superficial, and you may find non-caseating granulomas in these patients. The differential diagnosis for sarcoidosis is lymphoma. The differentiating factor between lymphoma and sarcoidosis is that in lymphoma, a biopsy would not demonstrate non-caseating granulomas. Treatment of sarcoidosis is typically medical with oral corticosteroids, which is considered the first-line treatment. Finally, complications of sarcoidosis include pulmonary fibrosis, pulmonary hypertension, and heart failure. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 33-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with shortness of breath. She states that it has been ongoing for the past five years. However, she recently immigrated to this country and has never seen a doctor before. She also endorses palpitations which are occurring currently. She denies fevers, chills, chest pain, or myalgias. She has a chronic cough for which she has taken multiple courses of antibiotics that she bought from a family member without resolution of her symptoms. Her temperature is 97.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. 
Blood pressure is 122 over 82 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 50 per minute. Respirations are 15 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a thin, young woman with dry skin. Her hair is thin as well. Abdominal exam is non-tender in all quadrants. Lower extremity edema is noted. An electrocardiogram is performed and shows a regular P-to-P interval and R-to-R interval with complete P and QRS complex dissociation. A chest radiograph is ordered and is pending. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. First degree heart block. 2. Hypothyroidism. 3. Ischemic heart disease. 4. Lyme disease. And 5. Sarcoidosis. The correct answer to this question is 5. Sarcoidosis. So if you have good situational awareness and know that we're going over questions about sarcoidosis, you should have gotten this question correct. But to quickly review, this young patient is presenting with dyspnea, lower extremity pitting edema, and complete heart block, which is concerning for untreated persistent sarcoidosis that has progressed to heart failure. To quickly review, sarcoidosis typically presents in a young African-American woman with a cough. Granulomas can occur throughout the body in the lung, heart, brain, and skin. Patients may present with dyspnea, cough, fatigue, weight loss, arthralgias, and visual changes. Activated macrophages can also activate vitamin D and can cause hypercalcemia. If granulomas occur in the myocardium, they can disrupt the cardiac conduction pathways, causing dysrhythmias, including heart block. The management of sarcoidosis involves the administration of steroids and treating complications. In complete heart block, patients often need a pacemaker given the potential for bradycardia, hypotension, and syncope. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, first-degree heart block presents with a benign prolongation of the PR interval on ECG without any symptoms or sequelae. There is no additional management required for this diagnosis. Answer 2, hypothyroidism presents with weight gain, depression, bradycardia, hyponatremia, thinning hair, cool skin, scarce lanugo, and fatigue. Though this patient should have her TSH level checked, her symptoms could be suggestive of malnutrition in contrast to her ECG concretely showing heart block rather than sinus bradycardia. Answer 3, ischemic heart disease is incorrect as this is the most common etiology of complete heart block. However, it would be unlikely for heart block in a young and premenopausal woman to be secondary to ischemia. This would be a more common etiology in an elderly patient with comorbidities. Finally, answer 4, Lyme disease is incorrect, as this can cause complete heart block. However, patients would have other symptoms, either previously or currently, including erythema migraines, fever, chills, headaches, nausea, vomiting, myalgias, and arthralgias. To leave you with the bullet summary, sarcoidosis can cause complete heart block and heart failure. And moving on to the final question, a 36-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician for dyspnea, chest discomfort, and fatigue over the last four months. She denies any headache, vision changes, recent travel, or contact with sick people. She has trialed over-the-counter cough medicine and analgesics, which did not improve her symptoms. She has no past medical history. Her mother had a myocardial infarction at age 65, and her father is otherwise healthy. She smoked three cigarettes daily for three months, but stopped over five years ago. Her temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 125 over 85 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 per minute and respirations are 22 per minute with an oxygen saturation of 98% on room air. Chest auscultation is unremarkable. There is a firm and non-tender lymph node in the cervical region. A radiograph of the chest demonstrates bilateral hilar adenopathy. 
Which of the following is the most appropriate in confirming the diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Excisional biopsy of the cervical lymph node. 2. Mediastinal lymph node biopsy via thoracotomy. 3. Pulmonary function testing. 4. Serum angiotensin converting enzyme level. And 5. Transbronchial lung biopsy via bronchoscopy. The correct answer to this question is 1. Excisional biopsy of the cervical lymph node. So this patient's dyspnea, chest discomfort, fatigue, and bilateral hilar adenopathy on radiography of the chest are concerning for sarcoidosis. Given the presence of cervical lymphadenopathy, the patient should undergo an excisional biopsy of the cervical lymph node to confirm the diagnosis. Sarcoidosis is a multi-system granulomatous disorder of unknown cause. Sarcoidosis most commonly affects the lungs, typically leading to diffuse interstitial lung disease. Extrapulmonary findings include the skin, for example, papular, nodular, and maculopapular lesions, lymph nodes, joints, for example, polyarthritis, and the brain, for example, neurosarcoidosis. Pulmonary imaging is essential, and the classic finding is bilateral hilar adenopathy. Biopsy of a site is integral in making the diagnosis with histopathologic findings demonstrating non-caseating granulomas. The preferred biopsy site is where the lesion is most accessible, such as a palpable lymph node or cutaneous lesion, as this leads to the least harm to the patient when compared to a more invasive approach, for example, a thoracotomy. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, mediastinal lymph node biopsy via thoracotomy is incorrect as this is an invasive means of obtaining a lymph node biopsy. This method is reserved for when a diagnosis is unable to be made with less invasive approaches, for example, a cervical lymph node biopsy or bronchoscopy. Answer 3, pulmonary function testing is incorrect as this is used to assess the severity of respiratory impairment and is useful in monitoring the course of the disease as the lungs become further affected. Characteristically, pulmonary function testing in patients with sarcoidosis reveals a restrictive pattern, which is not specific for sarcoidosis and thus would not confirm the diagnosis. Answer 4, serum angiotensin converting enzyme level is incorrect, as this is typically elevated in patients with sarcoidosis. However, this serum study has limited diagnostic utility due to its poor sensitivity and specificity. And finally, answer 5, transbronchial lung biopsy via bronchoscopy is a useful method to obtain a biopsy in patients with endobronchial lesions. This method is reserved for when there is no clear superficial lesion or when the superficial lesion does not provide a diagnosis. To leave you with a bullet summary, biopsying the most accessible site is the preferred method of obtaining a tissue diagnosis in patients with sarcoidosis. That's all for this review about sarcoidosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.